And I adore you, Almighty God. Blessed be thy master's holy name. Hallelujah! 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 Thank you, Almighty God. I love you, Lord Jesus. And I praise you, Lord Jesus. Glory to the wonderful name of our God. Hallelujah. Praise God. I have thought the Lord as to what to speak to you. As I've already mentioned, I've been down here a lot, and I don't want to be repetitious in any way, but I also want to do what the Lord uh, would have me to do in this service. And uh, in seeking the Lord, the Lord directed my attention to the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 20. And let's begin by taking a look at those scriptures. Acts chapter 20. And I shall begin reading at verse 17. And uh, it is on these verses that I shall be teaching the whole uh, time. All four sessions will be on this chapter. Chapter 20 of Acts, beginning with verse 16. For Paul, having determined to sail to Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hastened, if it were possible, for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. And it is these, this subject that I want to speak to you this week, and that is the apostolic manner of the Apostle Paul. I want to deal with those things which are not so obvious to the apostolic ministry. He gives a farewell speech here, and in it, in this speech, he describes his manner, the way that he conducted himself among the people. We know that the the obvious the obvious uh, ministry of the apostles was to be greatly used of God to establish churches. To the Ephesian brethren, when he first went there, was in the 18th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, he had just been in Athens. Believe it or not, he didn't do so hot there. He didn't accomplish very much. The soil, the, the place, uh, just wasn't ready to receive this tremendous gospel in spite of the great ministry of the Apostle Paul. I think there's a lesson there because he went on to Corinth and there was a tremendous revival. According to historians, the Corinthian church became thousands of members. It was a great ingathering of soul in Athens just some 50 miles away. I, I have always had this thought in mind that there is absolutely no place in the world that God will not work. But we have to admit that there are some areas that are more fertile to this message than others, that they will more readily receive the gospel. They are ready for it. Amen. And if we find ourselves in a hard place and God has put us there, we need to remember that the apostle did not build a big church in Athens. It was a small, very small church, but he was still the one that was greatly anointed of the Lord. Amen. One of the problems, I think, that happens to us, we get to comparing ourselves to ourselves, and that is not the will of God. 
We need to compare ourselves to the will of God and to what God has invested in us to accomplish at a certain place. I believe God wants us to have peace while we're doing the work of the Lord. And much of the depression, much of the anxiety that the ministry is feeling today is because we're comparing ourselves to certain individuals that have made great, great accomplishments in this world. But we have to accept where God has put us, doing our very best. Praise the Lord. I remember one time Brother Hewlin Meyer came to visit me, and uh, you know him well. He is uh, so tall and so impressive and and so positive in his his attitude, always, always. And I picked him up at the Pittsburgh airport, and he got in my car, and the first thing he did was reached over and slapped me on the leg and said, How you doing, Billy? I said, Compared to who? <laughs> Compared to what I am capable of doing, I'm doing great. <laughs> Hallelujah. Compared to what God has called me to do and has anointed me to do it, I'm doing all right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And how much peace that can bring to your heart. Amen. The apostle was used greatly of the Lord to bring great revival. And then he left... Uh, uh, Corinth and went to Ephesus for the first visit. There wasn't any great ingathering the first time he went, but there was some that believed on the Lord. And then the second time he went in the 19th chapter of Acts, and there he found certain disciples uh, that had believed on the Lord and had repented of their sins. And he was, let me remind you, the apostle found certain disciples and said, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? He accepted their repentance. He had not seen them repent, but he accepted their Bible experience that they already had and introduced to them new truth. And when, he, when they told him that they had not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost or not, then he was concerned about their baptism. Because there's not very many people that baptize in Jesus' name that doesn't know about the Holy Ghost. Amen. There are a few. There are a few. There was such a tremendous move of God in the nation of Thailand that the other churches are now baptizing in Jesus' name, even the Church of Christ, believe it or not. The Church of Christ is baptizing. I don't know. Uh, I would hope that the Lord uh, would accept that, of them baptizing them in Jesus' name. I don't know about the preachers, but uh, uh, I certainly would hope that the Lord would understand that these innocent converts don't know anything about who's right and who's wrong and would accept the baptism in Jesus' name is being valid. But the assemblies of God and the church of God and the church of God of prophecy in Thailand is baptizing in, in Jesus' name. One of my recent visits to the assemblies of God pastor called me aside and had a conference with me, and his purpose was try to persuade us to stop rebaptizing people in Jesus' name. Well, that's, uh, that's like talking to a brick wall, you know, <laughs> tell us to quit rebaptizing people in Jesus' name. Uh, but he finally ended up his conversation said, Well, I want you to know that for years now we have baptized all of our new converts in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I appreciate that. But there's very few people... There's very, very few people that's ever been baptized in Jesus' name that doesn't know about the Holy Ghost. And the apostle was concerned. He accepted. I want to emphasize, he accepted their repentance. He didn't preach repentance to them. 
when they told him that he would, they were believers. And uh, someone says, Brother Cole, don't you think repentance is important? Of course I believe it's important. Amen. You can't receive the Holy Ghost without repenting. Isn't that right? But people don't necessarily have to repent at our altars. I am thoroughly convinced that there are people that has not heard our message that have genuinely repented of their sins. Now, they may not have adjusted their uh, some of their life. They may not know about modest apparel and so forth. They haven't been taught. These things have to be taught to people. Amen. Praise the Lord. I remember one time in uh, an early part of our church in, in Wheeling, uh, we had a tremendous move of the Holy Ghost. The church was still very small. And uh, a lady came and uh, just uh, she came to the Sunday night service for the first time in, in, in her life. She had been to our Sunday school three weeks, and she was a registered nurse. And at the conclusion of my Sunday night message, I simply said, Is there anyone here ready for the Holy Ghost? Are you ready to receive the Holy Ghost? And she came. I intended for her to come and stand in front of the pulpit, but she didn't. And uh, I'm not sure just why she did what she did. But she walked around the pulpit and walked right up to me and said, What do you want me to do? And uh, at first it kind of kind of shocked me. <laughs> and then the Holy Ghost quickened me, and I laid my hand on her, and I said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And she just started speaking in other tongues, as the Spirit of God give the utterance. Praise the Lord. And that inspired a 17-year-old boy, and he came on the other side. And pow, he got the Holy Ghost, too. And that inspired his brother, a 15-year-old teenager, came and he received the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. And our congregation was quite small in those days in a very small room just about 18 feet wide and the platform was so small the first time I preached on it I fell off of it backwards <laughs> so, <laughs> there was a window behind me I almost fell out the window <laughs> we've covered that window <laughs> but uh, after the service a beautiful young couple came and uh, and said to me, Brother Cole, don't you believe in repentance? I said, absolutely, I believe in repentance. She said, but those people came up there and got the Holy Ghost. I heard them speak with tongues. And I said, well, do you believe that someone can receive the Holy Ghost without repenting? She said, absolutely not. I said, well, what's your problem? <laughs> Praise, Praise the Lord. <laughs> What's your problem? But she told me her problem. She said, but I like to see them cry. I said, oh, I see. This service was not designed to entertain you. And what happens is a lot of times our congregation forces us to entertain them rather than deal with the situation just as it really is. And to be apostolic is to take it just like it is and deal with the situation and forget about entertainment. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's praise the Lord together. I worship you, Lord Jesus, and I adore you, Almighty God. Blessed be thy master's holy name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But the apostle Paul came again and left there and went to Macedonia and to Greece again. And then he was on his way to Jerusalem. At uh, the reading of our text today, he was on his way to Jerusalem. He wanted to stop in Ephesus again. But the brethren just would not permit it. They persuaded him because of the tremendous danger uh, to his life. And so they called the 
they called the Ephesian elders to come uh, to him a short distance. And it was in this message that the apostle gives his farewell address. Amen. We know that there are certain obvious things in the apostolic ministry. An apostle, I believe, is one who is sent by the church and uh, to go into foreign or perhaps in new areas and through the miracle power of God to establish the church, to break the, to break the ground, to, to break that area through the power of God. And that can only be done through the power of God. In earlier sessions that I've been with you, I've taught on intercessory prayer and conquering princes and conquering devils and situations. I've heard a lot about that since I've been down here. Let me reemphasize, he that's within us is greater than he that's in the world. Amen. The third part of the angels was cast to the earth. And it would seem to me that uh, the, warring, the warring angels was that of Michael and those that followed him. The angels of messengers was that of Gabriel and those that followed him. You remember when, when uh, Daniel was praying an intercessory prayer, that Gabriel came with the message. Gabriel didn't carry a sword. He ran into the prince of Persia, and, uh, and uh, he could not bring the message. When he finally brought the message, he said, I heard you 21 days ago, but I have not been able until Michael came. Michael's the one that carries the sword, and the angels that work with him. And Lucifer and his third was cast to the earth. And he doesn't have a sword either. He was the glory of God. He was the beauty of God. He had a beautiful voice. His most important weapon is his voice. The pipes within him were perfect. Every stone uh, was his covering. And he was the glory of God. He was not a warrior. And the reason the devil whips us a lot of times is because of his ability to deceive us. That's his main weapon. Hallelujah. The Bible says, tearing down of the strongholds. But in the very next verse, it tells us where the strongholds are. The imagination taking control of imaginations, bringing every thought into the captivity of Jesus Christ. The only power that the devil has is to whisper to us. He does not carry a sword. It is Michael that carries the sword. And praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He is a deceiver. He is beautiful. I know we've all talked about uh, uh, that he is not the red image with horns that uh, we picture him as and how true that is. That is far more true than we realize. His whole weaponry is his beauty, is his beauty and his ability to speak and to sing. He was the glory of God. Amen. God's working on us, and we're going to replace Him. We're going to become the glory of God when we're with Him. Hallelujah. When we are perfected, God is beautifying us now, working out all of the impurities and imperfections of our lives. And one day we shall stand before Him, taking Lucifer's place as the glory of God. Oh, hallelujah. That, that gives me chill bumps. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's praise the Lord together. We worship you, Lord Jesus. And we adore you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I was preaching somewhere some time ago, and some lady got up. And it was really disturbing, causing a rumpus.
And the pastor leaned over to me and said, uh, that woman is full of the devil. I said, good, because if that's the problem, we can take care of her in 10 seconds. But if that is flesh, it may take 10 years. <laughs> Turned out to be flesh. <laughs> There's only one way to change flesh, and that is to, to educate it. But if it's a devil, we can cast it out. Don't never need to be afraid of the devil. Hallelujah. All he can do is, is interject a thought in your mind that is not right. Amen. And uh, God is able to help us and give us victory. Can you say praise the Lord? I've taught on those things extensively down here before and in depth, and I don't want to, to deal with that part of it uh, today or this week. I want to deal with those things that are not quite so obvious. Amen. Working together. Thank God. Thank God. The Scripture teaches that we are laborers together with God. Later, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, and his whole message in the book of Ephesians was that we should be one. The word one is used over and over again. The word together is used over and over again. United, that's the message that's in Ephesians. Love each other. Work together. Take your place in the kingdom of God that there are various uh, ministries. And I think this has been something that uh, we're beginning to better understand in the United Pentecostal Church. In times past, we've had the pressure on the preachers to be everything from A to Z. Amen. We've demanded them to be everything, to be able to accomplish everything. I believe that there are those among us who are great teachers that may not be able to lay hands upon someone and pray them through the Holy Ghost. I didn't expect you to say amen. Just, just think about it. See, you're doing the same thing. <laughs> we demand, we demand everything. But there are apostles among us there are prophets among us. There are pastors among us. There are evangelists among us. There are governments among us. There are helps among us. The apostle deals with this subject in trying to explain it to the Ephesian brethren when he wrote to them. Let me just read that here in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith. This was the apostles' concern to the Ephesian church. I want you to work together. I want you to love each other. I want you to accept each other's ministry. Here's an apostle. Here's a pastor. And they are not the same. They must not be demanded to do the same. An apostle cannot act like a pastor. And a pastor must not be demanded to do the work of an apostle. We need to recognize each other's ministries. Let them do a good job. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So what happens is that uh, someone that has an apostolic ministry, every time they get up to preach, well, they draw a big crowd because of their miracle ministry, and they think they can't preach without smacking the pastors in the mouth and humiliating pastors and making them look like insignificant nothings. And then they wonder why they've finally burned up and, and no longer invited. Uh -huh. 
Well, your liberty stops where my nose begins. <laughs> God, hallelujah. You know, I have to do something. If you get up there and, and, and make me look so foolish, you, you leave me nothing to do. And then we find uh, the opposite situation where pastors get so jealous. <laughs> Hello, hallelujah, amen, glory to God. And they will not accept the ministry of an apostle unless they can perform it themselves. Someone come in and many receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, maybe 20 or 30 or, or 50. Uh, I believe those things are possible even more than that if we'll make place for it to receive the Holy Ghost. And uh, uh, we are just so offended uh, by that. Uh, if, if someone receives the Holy Ghost sitting in, in the pews, we can't accept that. Well, it's Bible. Scripture says on the day of Pentecost, they received the Holy Ghost where they were sitting. But sometimes as pastors, we cannot receive that until it happens when we're preaching. It's of the devil. It's too easy. It was not of God. They didn't repent. They got something. I don't know what they got. Got some other kind. There is no other kind of Holy Ghost. <laughs> Until it happens to us. And then when four or five gets the Holy Ghost out there while we're preaching, hey, brother, that was okay. You, you forgive me for what I said. <laughs> But if we wait until we can accomplish everything that's in the ministry of God, we're going to be deprived of the powerful ministries that are among us. Can you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. For the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men's hands and cunning craftness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Every part is not of the same measure, not of the same status, not of the same sensitivity. Amen. Make it increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Amen. The body is not equally sensitive. The cornea of the eye is extremely sensitive. I have read in medical journals that the cornea of the eye, that the slightest little touch the eye is, is aware of that touch. It takes one-fifth of one gram touch to the eye, for the eye to know it has been touched, takes 28 grams for one ounce, and it's one-fifth of one gram, just the touch on the eye. But on the bottom of the foot, on the heel, it takes 300 grams for the pressure, for the heel to know that it has been touched. On the back of the arm is 33 grams. On the back of your hand, only 12 grams, and the tips of the fingers, 3 grams. And the thing that I'd like to point out is that these various parts of our bodies are not equally sensitive. And so it is. Whenever someone that is uh, greatly sensitive into the Holy Ghost, he feels something in the Spirit. Someone else may say, I didn't feel nothing. You weren't supposed to. You're supposed to respect that ministry that is among you. 
So it is for the saints. The saints uh, may not feel, and they most certainly should not feel, what you feel. And sometimes you will feel things that, uh, that the saints cannot even comprehend, can't even know uh, what is happening to them. That's the reason God has put you there. But let me point out that the foot needs less protection than the eye needs. The more sensitive someone is in the Holy Ghost, the more protection they need. But there is a tendency in the United Pentecostal Church to literally batter people nearly to death that are sensitive in the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. God help us to recognize the, the ministries that are among us and make place for them. Amen. Amen. And uh, even in our ministries, you know, when we invite a guest, uh, I've, been, I've been taking places where uh, by the time they introduce me, and it hasn't happened to me very often, but it's at least happened once, and enough that I can say it happened to me. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you go as a guest, and by the time they get you on the floor, there's nothing left to do. Your, your thought is, what do you want me to do? <laughs> You've done it all. You so upstaged me that there's nothing I can do. That's arrogance. That's insecurity. Praise the Lord. Don't go quiet on me, Father. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If I'm going to have a guest to come and preach in the church and I get up and prophesy and uh, reveal two or three secrets and, uh, and uh, lay hands on the sick and shove them and push them and shake them and, and everything else, by the time the guest gets up, he looks like a Sunday school boy. <laughs> yeah, like one brother told me here, he said, if this session today is going to be the, the high point of this camp, you're going to have to get with it. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to be the high point. I come down here to do my little job. And when I do it my very best in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to go home happy. Praise the Lord. And everybody that gets up to speak, I'm going to give them my full support. Trusting and believing God that God will use them for the glory of the Lord. If He wants to use me, praise the Lord. If He doesn't, I'm going to help the one that is used. Is that all right, brethren? Working together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's so vital, so important. The sensitiveness of the, of the body of Christ has got to, got to work together. Amen. The same, the same physical system within us that caused us to feel pleasure is the same system that causes us to feel pain. Same. Just the other day, I... We had guests in our house, and Sister Cole will always, my wife will always turn the thermostat up on the hot water tank when we have guests because we're using more hot water and want enough for everybody. And uh, I had forgotten about her doing that and was the first one to use the shower and jumped in there and uh, turned the heat on. And I'm telling you, I had to grab the nozzle of that thing <laughs> and hold it and get the water turned off because that thing was burning me bad. <laughs> I was just being blistered. Uh, but I noticed by the end of the by the end of the uh, shower that I had turned all the hot all the cold water off, and only the hot water was coming. 
You see, my system first said, you're being burnt. But I ignored it and kept tempering the water and tempering the water and tempering the water until the same system said, it feels good. I'm telling you, folks, we're going to have to keep our noses in the book or what once condemned us. The same sensitivity, the same nervous system within the church, the making up of the body is going to say it's okay. Feels good. Amen. We must not allow sin to come in among us. Sin, as leprosy is a type of sin, and leprosy destroys the sensitivity of the body. One of my first converts in Thailand was Sister Ellie Hansen, who was a registered nurse, and she was in Thailand for the ministry of, of working with lepers. She worked under Dr. Bucher. Uh, from England, and he was the head doctor of the leprosy mission work in Thailand, and they taught me a great deal about leprosy, and we have so many false concepts about leprosy, and we think that leprosy destroys uh, the body, that it destroys our flesh, causes the flesh to be ulcerated, the fingers to fall off, fingers do fall off, but it's not because of leprosy. That is the root cause. But leprosy does not cause the flesh to ulcerate. It does one single thing, and that is to destroy the nervous system so that you cannot feel pain. And because you can't feel pain, then you destroy your body because if you lay your hand on a hot stove, you're not aware of it. If you'd lay your hand on a hot stove, it would feel the same to you if you were a leper as if it was a pulpit. There would be no difference in the feeling whatsoever. When they operate on lepers to correct their feet and to correct their hands, they give them no anesthetic whatsoever. They don't need it. They just cut to take fingers off, take toes off, and a leper cannot feel that at all. They do not need uh, uh, anesthetic at all. They cannot feel it. And so it is. We as ministers must work together to protect the church of the Lord Jesus Christ against sin. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is able to help us to be alert. God is able to help us to be strong. It goes on to say here in chapter 4 of Ephesians Verse 17, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And of course we all know that the heart is the emotional part of our brain. It's not this a human organ in our chest that pumps blood, but it is the emotional part of our brain. And here it is saying that the blindness of our emotions, our emotions are off-key, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to the work, uh, to work all uncleanliness with greediness, but ye have not so learned in Christ. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul is endeavoring to teach the Ephesian church to be one, to recognize the ministries that is among us. Praise God. I believe we're beginning to learn that, don't you? Beginning to accept that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me move on here. He did not believe that he was ever going to see these brethren again. And so there were some things that he said unto them that must have been extremely important, must have been extremely important to the apostle to remind them of the things that he was going to 
to leave with him as he was as he was parting. Praise God. Look at verse 19. The very first thing he says, serving, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Is that apostolic? It must have been. That's the way the, that was the manner of the Apostle Paul, serving the Lord uh, with all humility of mind and with tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have put you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. This is an apostle talking, not knowing what's going to happen. I want to talk about that the last day that I'm here. The devil is so tricky, as we've already emphasized in the early part of our, our message. And uh, I want to bring a message of encouragement the last day. Praise the Lord, emphasizing that. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save the Holy Ghost, witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and affliction abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Joy is escaping us, brother. We preach about it a lot. Our saints do a lot of shouting, but joy is beginning to escape from the ministry. There is a cause. I want to talk about it this week. The ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching, the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I want to speak one day on that. Praise God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and all the flocks over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. That happened to the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest apostles that ever lived. Amen. Therefore, watch and uh, remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So what I want to talk about tomorrow. Tears. There's three types of tears. I will not, uh, I will not spend any time on the tears of intercession, as I have done that so many times down here already. But there is the tears of compassion. And there are the tears of splits. There are the tears of, of tension and strife among brethren. I want to deal with that tomorrow. There is a way to overcome the hurt that's within us. Can you say amen? And the Apostle Paul did not escape, and neither will we. We will not, uh, we will not escape it, but there is a way to overcome Praise God. And I'll be speaking about the tears of hurt that the Apostle Paul felt. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities. And to them that were with me, 
I have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let me continue. I've been talking about the obvious, the obvious apostolic ministry of helping people receive the Holy Ghost, the miracles of healing, the sensitiveness of the ministry, the ministering of the gifts of the Spirit, to let the church know ah, the things that are coming upon us. Those are the obvious things. Now let me talk a little bit about the things which are not quite so obvious to the apostolic ministry. We think of the apostle as being one that is very strong, very straightforward, very demanding, and uh, in charge of everything, in total control, in uh, speaking with power and authority. And sometimes we can get a perverted attitude as to what an apostle ought to act like. Amen. And what that ministry should be. The apostle Paul said, serving the Lord with the humility. Look at it again in verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. It is apostolic to be humble. It is apostolic to be humble. Humility is not an outward demonstration. Humility is a condition of our heart, of what we feel on the inside, what we really feel. You cannot have the obvious apostolic ministry and act simple or stupid. and go around apologizing all the time. You cannot go around apologizing all the time. If you're going to have a ministry of helping people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you have to be very positive. This is it. I'm hearing the Word of God. The anointing of the Lord is upon me. And if you believe me tonight, God will send you with the Holy Ghost. That's what inspires faith to receive the Holy Ghost. You cannot act simple and foolish and, and, and it's what some people call humility and, and get people through to the Holy Ghost or to inspire people to believe God for healing, for the obvious ministries uh, of the apostle. But humility is a condition of the heart. When you realize that you are totally on the inside of you, outwardly you're standing straight. Outwardly you have authority in your eyes. And, and, and you're, you're not inhibited. You know that being inhibited is a form of pride? We're afraid we're going to fall on our face. And we are protecting our image. That is not humility. It is the opposite. When you're humble, you don't care whether you fall on your face or not. You're interested in one single thing, to do what God wants you to do, whether it works or not. It's up to Him. The Lord give it, and the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord together. I worship you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. When someone, when someone is used mighty in our congregation to teach or to preach, uh, like uh, Brother Johnson last night, wasn't that marvelous? So outstanding. He didn't get up there and act real humble. But I'm telling you, he was humble.
It was a humility in his heart. And someone ministers to your church, and they move through your church with passiveness to prophesy or to lay hands on the sick or to lay hands upon those that need the Holy Ghost. It's very, very positive on the outward. But inside, if it's going to last very long, they're thinking, I am totally dependent on God. I am resting upon Him. He has told me to do this, and I'm going to do it. If I'm human, then it. That is true humility. Now, when some great preacher... When some great preacher and some great somebody walks up to you and says, I am nothing, I am nothing, and you're so great, and I am absolutely nothing, and so forth, you might question that. Probably don't feel that way at all. Cheap talk. That is not humility. Furthermore, humility involves strength. You can't be humble unless you're strong. Unless you're strong, you can't be humble. You can be a coward. But being a coward and being humble is not the same thing. Praise the Lord. The Apostle Paul, serving the Lord in humility, realizing his total dependency upon the Lord. Another good word for humble is to be meek. The Lord wants his ministers to be meek. That doesn't mean that, uh, that we won't speak up. That doesn't mean that we won't, uh, that we're just going to let people bulldoze us in the ground? It's not what that means at all. I believe humility, when a person is humble, that they are in control of their emotions. This has been a big problem for me to sometimes control my emotions. When I first came to the Lord, I had a wicked temper. I had a wicked temper. I still got it. But I've learned how to control it. I get just as angry as I ever got. But I have learned how to control it. I believe that's a part of being humble. Don't you? Praise the Lord. Getting ourselves under control. Praise the Lord. Strength in the Lord. Uh, sometimes it'll break through on us. I remember one time, not so long ago, about a year ago, uh, I uh, pastoring this little sister that had the Holy Ghost 50 years, and she is the world's worst gossiper, as far as I'm concerned. I've never met one uh, that is uh, a worse gossiper than than she is. I mean, and she has enough discernment. You know, anybody can look around the congregation, and if they see somebody with their lip down, you don't have to be a prophet to figure out something's wrong. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't that right? You can just look at people's countenance sometimes, and, and if you got two eyes in your head, it makes no difference whether you've got any gift of the Spirit or not. If you got two eyes, you can see that person down. Well, she just rushed right to them, you know. What's the pr problem, darling? I see that something's wrong. I discern in the Spirit. It's always I discern in the Spirit. And their lips are hanging down to their knees. You didn't need a bit of Spirit. You didn't need the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and want to uh, talk to them and want to know their problems, want to deal with them. And she would just carry tales. And oh, my, she was my number one problem as a pastor. And I was trying my best to be kind to her, and I was kind to her. I pastored her five years before I said anything to her, other than from preaching. <laughs> Give her a little bit in the Word once in a while. 
I preached here several hundred sermons. <laughs> and one day we had uh, the inspector there for our preschool, and we had uh, uh, Konoa County School inspectors there for our uh, regular school within the buildings. And they were going every, over everything with white gloves, and and uh, and I was preparing papers to to ask the bank to loan us two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and I was working on that. And uh, the, coming right to the end of the deadline, I had to hurry, a lot of pressure. And here she barges into my office, unannounced, with no appointment, and I don't believe in talking to people without an appointment. You do it the way you want to do it, but your people needs to respect the ministry. As much as they respect their doctor, they don't barge in on their doctor. They don't barge in on their lawyer. They don't even barge in on their neighbors. Praise the Lord. And here she comes just barging into my office, and I didn't even know she was in the building, and telling me that sister so-and-so is offended, and if I didn't do something right away, she's going to leave the church and lean in on me. And the old life broke through. <laughs> and I lean in on her. <laughs> I mean, I read her the riot act. Bless God. <laughs> I think I ended up telling her to get her nose out of my business. I am the pastor, and I want you to quit trying to be the pastor. I mean, I lay in on her heart, and oh, she was, she was so offended. My, I'm going to leave the church. I said, fine, make my job a whole lot easier. <laughs> But when I had time to think about that, I realized that I had made a mistake. I told her the truth, but I didn't do it with humility. And, uh, you know, we're born with all of the, we come into the church with all these problems of sin. And uh, we, that our ministers, came in with the same problems as our saints adultery, fornication. Lying, stealing, cheating, temper, anger, murder, all of these things we have in our flesh, in our temperament, and we have to work on these things and get these things under control. Amen. And I believe God's able to help us, don't you? Hallelujah. To get our tempers under control and to help us to be what we ought to be. We have to work at changing our temperament. It is, it's a poor excuse to say, well, that's just my temperament. That's just, just the way I am. Well, we need to be changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. We are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. It's the, sometimes ground into us, and we have to change. Uh, in Matthew, one of the reasons people fall, um, you, very likely you've noticed this before, but look at Matthew chapter 13 and verse 20, where it says, Jesus talking about the parable of the sower. He said, but he received the seed into the stony places. The same is he that heareth the word, and a none with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath not root in himself, but doeth for a while. But when the tribulation or persecution of the righteous, because of the word, by and by, he is offended. What I want you to notice is the very first part of verse 21, yet he hath not root in himself. No fibers in his flesh. His mom and dad hasn't taught him right. His temperament is way out in left field somewhere. He's never finished a job. When someone gives him a job to do, he gets halfway through it and quits. 
makes promises that he don't keep, passes bad checks, and all these kind of things. We have come to God with some of these traits ourselves. And God, in His mercy, in His love, and in His kindness, has called us into His glorious work. We're going to have to change our flesh. And whatever is wrong, we have got to work on it and get it under control. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord. Well, it's just a very few minutes till 10, and I want to stop at 10 o'clock. I believe someone that is... Uh, let, me, let me say this. Many times, many times, depression... Depression. Now, there are reasons for depressions, and sometimes there are real physical reasons for depression. Sometimes our bodies just just not what they ought to be, and uh, we get burned out and all those kind of things. But a lot of times, the reason we feel depressions is because of our own egos. Amen. God's able to help us. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. I believe someone that is humble is teachable. That's the reason you're here. You let someone like me come here and, and teach you, and some of you are more experienced than I am. Have great churches. And uh, I believe that's a part of being humble and is to be teachable, to be instructable, that we can receive instructions. I think another part of humility is kindness. I think we're becoming more and more aware of this in these days of the importance of being kind to the people of God. I tell you, if you have someone in your church that is a precious saint, they are valuable. They represent years and years of teaching and instructions. And I tell you, uh, thank God for the new converts. We've got to have them. But someone that's been in the church for 10 years, and they are dependable, and uh, you can count on them. My, how we ought to be kind to these kind of people, loving them, respecting them, and not abusing them in any way, but boastfulness and cockiness and arrogance and all these things will cause us to fail. Isn't that true? You can't even keep a job in the world with a hot temper. You can't keep your wife or your husband. Uh, they will leave us. And these things have got to be gotten under control. Amen. And I speak from, from experience. I've had, uh, I've had to do some learning, a lot of learning myself in the 30-some years that I have been preaching. It is possible to be extremely spiritual and gifted and yet be so stinking carnal. Let me read for you. Let me prove it by the Word of God in the last couple of minutes that I have. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, and uh, he is saying to them, in verse 7, so that you become behind in no gift. You've got them all. All nine spiritual gifts, the gifts of utterance, the gifts of discerning of spirits, knowledge, understanding, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, the gifts of healing, you have them all. You're absolutely second to nobody when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit and the power of God. Now, that's what we think of as being apostolic, is the use of the gifts. And it is apostolic. That is the obvious ministry. We've already talked about it early in this session, of the obvious gifts it is working in our lives. But here is a situation where the gifts are working, but just two chapters later, the Apostle Paul says in verse chapter 3, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Let me tell you, 
In, in, in modern language, he said to those Corinthians, you've got all the gifts. You are apostolic in power, but you're nothing but a bunch of babies. One of the greatest, most powerful men I ever met in my life in the Spirit was also one of the most carnal men. I ever met in my life. And carnality is not apostolic. Carnality is not apostolic. We have got to overcome these things in our lives. What happens is we allow the fruits of our gifts to become a confirmation to us that we are pleasing God. We may be doing something way out in left field, and we are unteachable, we're uninstructable. And someone that is of a lesser known name would call something to our attention, and we bristle like a porcupine and say, Hey, who do you think you are? I had 25 people get the Holy Ghost in my service last night, and I had 50 the day before that. Who do you think you are? unteachable. It's very possible for us to have the gifts of the Spirit working within us and be the most carnal human being that is alive. How can it be, Brother Cole? It means that sometimes, someplace, you please God. And God bestowed His gifts upon us. And then through the fruit of our gifts, we become arrogant and become carnal. And those gifts will work in us even if you're living in adultery. I am persuaded that I could pray people through the Holy Ghost and live in adultery every day just as long as I could keep you from finding it out. Sooner or later, God will expose you. We all know that. We've seen that happen recently. It's what happened to those men. Lifted up in their ministries, thinking they didn't need to go by the book. There's only one confirmation, and that's the Word of God. I don't care if you can pray souls through. I don't care if you can lay hands and the sick are instantly healed. I don't care if you can perform miracles. There's only one thing that confirms whether you're living right or not, and that's this book. Amen. And we have got to bring our flesh under control. Can you say amen? Would you lift your hands and worship the Lord with me? I worship you, Lord Jesus, and I adore you, Lord Jesus, and I praise thy matchless holy name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you in Jesus' name. I trust that this session has been profitable to you today. God bless you in Jesus' name.